If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Billy. Billy became a mum at 38 and now has a gorgeous daughter, Luna, and they live in New South Wales. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Billy. I'd love to start maybe understanding what journey you went on to make the decision to even become a solo mum by choice. Um, well, it had always been in the back of my mind, and I used to just kind of joke about it with friends. I just sort of flippantly say, oh, I'll just have a sperm donor baby. Um, yeah. And I think I was doing that partly to get myself used to the idea and also see the idea with people around me so that if and when that happened, it wouldn't be such a weird thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, I, I had a long-term boyfriend many years ago. We split up. I was in my early 30s. I've then never been very good at dating. I just don't particularly enjoy it. I mean, I, does anybody? Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's so, uh, just such a hassle. I just don't enjoy the whole first date thing and um and then I would just stop putting effort into it and yeah so that just wasn't happening for me and so I kind of and I know what I'm like so I I could see that this is what was going to go on so I gave myself a couple of little deadlines um Mm -hmm. so I sort of said I'm going to check in with myself at the age of 35 and see if I'm ready to go down that path but then 38 is going to be my deadline but I'm gonna gonna do it right um and so when I got to 35, I was, um, all my friends were kind of getting married, but no one really had kids yet. I was still running around traveling a lot and having a lot of fun. And I just went, nah, no, it's not time. It's not time. Still definitely something I want to do, but not time. Yeah. And then about a year later was when all my best friends started having their babies. And suddenly I was around babies more often. And I was like, oh, I could actually do this. I can see myself being a mum soon and I can suddenly well I've never been around babies that much before but I can kind of see how this is gonna work and I I think I'm ready to start thinking about it properly so Mm -hmm. I um went to uh, I started with my GP um and had a chat with her um and just said I think this is something I should be thinking about now so she sent me off to do a couple of tests the AMH tests um probably a blood test a couple of other bits and pieces went off the pill just in preparation yeah um and then she referred me to a uh, specialist. So, um, yeah, so that all, so I was 36 at the time that I kicked it all off. 
Oh, um, so you didn't get to your 38 deadline then? No, I didn't in the end. So, no. but I was quite, I was pleased with how I sort of did it in my mind because I gave myself a check-in point rather than a deadline. And then then when it came time later on, it was, um, it wasn't a forced situation. It just felt like I was, I was ready for it. And I'd been, I'd spent quite a lot of time processing it in my mind and um, sort of letting go of the idea that I'm not going to meet a guy and get married and have a white picket fence and the whole yep. thing it's going to be a different different path so yeah I had a lot of time to to process that and come to terms with it myself so um yeah I was really ready by the time it, it all came around and then I think um you know you go to the fertility specialist and at that point I was probably in my mind thinking I'm just exploring this but then they tell say do you want to go on the donor waiting list and you go oh okay I'll just yeah. chuck my name on that and see what happens um, and then it just kind of goes and you just sort of do each step at a time. And um, for me, there was an eight-month waiting list um, oh, wow. for the donor. Yeah, which sounds like a lot. Um, and they did say that, look, if I wanted to switch clinics, there was somewhere else that they could get me in quicker and all that kind of stuff. But I decided the eight-month waiting time was actually a good thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me time to really think about it. I had a big trip planned in the middle as well, so I was like, I really want to go on that trip and it was a bridesmaid in the UK and then and everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky because that was October 2019 and then obviously the next year everything <laughs> shut down. So really glad I managed to get that trip in at the end. But um but yeah, the eight months it was it was a really good time for me to get used to it and my family as well, get used to the idea that this is what I was gonna do. How um, did they react when you told them this is what you were gonna do? Um, really well, um, but interesting because I sat down with my mum and dad um, and basically said, look, this is what I'm planning to do, but it's all contingent on me and the baby being able to live here with you guys. Um, right. <laughs> a lot of help. <laughs> yeah, like there's no way that I can have a baby in my tiny little shoebox, one bedroom apartment. Um, so it was very much uh, a family affair. Um, and when I sat down with mum and dad and told them about this, my dad instantly was like, yep, totally love it. I'm on board. Let's do this straight away. Like just I think this is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. Oh, my yay, mom, dad. <laughs> yeah, which it's funny. I thought he was going to be more reserved about it. My mum, who's, you know, they've always wanted grandkids and everything and, you know, she's not subtle about dropping hints that she wants grandkids. Um, she took a little bit of time to get comfortable with the idea, not, the idea of me having a baby on my own but the idea of me not being in a relationship with a man and having that partnership so she all of the the thinking and the processing that I'd been doing myself for probably over a course of a few years mm-hmm. she then had to go through and so it took her a little bit of time almost um, not grieving but she had to yeah let go of the idea that it was going to happen in a certain way um and I remember in that conversation, that first conversation, she said, okay, but um, finding a, a partner, that's still plan A, right? And the baby on your own is plan B. And I had to say, no, mum, this is plan A. You can't do this if it's plan B. It's, you're, all, you're all in or nothing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so she was totally supportive and, and on board and everything, but just took a little while to uh, get used to the idea, I think. Um, and eventually it was because she what kind of clicked with her is, all her friends are having getting grandkids left, right, and centre. Uh, and then, unfortunately, my aunt, who we're all very close to, passed away. And my mum said, mm-hmm. "Everybody else's families are growing, and ours is shrinking." And I think that was the moment that she kind of went, "You know what? I'm totally, I'm, I'm in. I'm here." So, 
yeah. yeah. Ideally, I'd have it that you had a partner to have this with, but that's not happening. So I'm all on yeah. board. Yeah. So this is on board. We're all on board. And, you know, if you could see her with Luna now, it's like you would never think that there was any res- reservations whatsoever. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So they had to kind of go through that. But, um, yeah, have been incredible uh, the whole way through. And as I said, I, I live, we live with them. Um, and so I've got, I'm a solo mum, but I'm not doing it on my own by any stretch. I've got a lot of help around. Yeah, the proper village going. Yeah, yeah. I've got my, my live-in babysitter. This is uh, very excellent. Love that. And so you obviously went on the waiting list to get donor sperm through a clinic. Did you look at any other avenues for a donor? Uh, no, I didn't actually. And I didn't even sort of look around at different clinics. I just kind of went with whoever I was recommended as I went along. Um, so... No, we, uh, they went with, they used um, international donors. Um, mm-hmm. I went, was with Chenea, so they were using international donors and I kind of just went, oh, I would have probably preferred a local donor, but I'm not, it's not a deal breaker for me. So local wasn't actually an option for you? Not that they offered me. Um, and like I said, I didn't really question it too much. I was just kind of going a, a, along with the flow, really. Um, and and I, was, I was fine with that. Um, so... I, I liked the clinic. I liked my fertility specialist. Um, and so I didn't really feel the need to to change that up because I felt like I was in, in safe hands and it didn't it didn't ultimately bother me too much about whether it was Australian or, or international. So, yeah, I just kind of went along with it really. Um, and then, uh, yeah, got got the, the list through, God, when was it? It would have been February 2020. Yeah, February mm-hmm. 2020. Um, and at that point, there were only two donors on the list for New South Wales. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay, this isn't ideal. And then they offered me up. Um, they said I could look into state at one of the other states if, if I was interested and if I could travel because um, the regulations are obviously different. Um, and at the time, my sister was living in Canberra. So I said, okay, well, send me the list for ACT because I know that I can, I've got somewhere to stay in Canberra if I need to go down there. Yeah. Um, and there were another 10 donors that came through that were eligible um for ACT because their regulations are different um yeah and it's it's to do with I think the number of families um that they can create each donor can create worldwide so in New South Wales I believe it was five versus AT, ACT it was 10 so just I think it's 10 for Victoria as well yeah 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 so it just opened up the list um so yeah so I had 12 to choose from in the end um and it was quite a funny process. I think this whole thing, there's been some really funny moments going along. It's all very serious, but sometimes you just have to zoom out and just go, this is hilarious. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like <laughs> you go on the website for, for the donors, for the American donors, it was um, Fairfax Crybank. And uh, you can literally, if you're in America, you can do, you know, add to cart and buy five vials and get one vial free. And the whole thing was just so <laughs> funny. I couldn't... Um, my girlfriends and I were just laughing. We we went to the pub one night to, to look at all the donor options together. Yeah. So we're sitting there in the pub with a glass of wine, looking at the sperm donors, giggling away at all the, the silly things that you can find out about them and um, just imagining all these people in the pub, what would they think if they knew what we were doing right <laughs> now? Um, yeah, so we just had a really, really funny experience um, choosing it. So I can't, I've got my best friends looked at it with me and my mum and dad and my sister um had a look um and it was I mean ultimately it was my decision obviously um but it was really interesting hearing what other people were looking for and yeah. what kind of stood out and 
uh, and then it kind of helped clarify what was important to me and, and not. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've heard other women just do it themselves and they don't share it with anyone else. But for me, it was really handy just to get um, just to get a sense from from even my most important people around me what they thought. So. Going into it, did you have certain criteria that you were looking for? Like was it health specific or eye colour or anything like that? Or was you pretty up yeah, I mean, I started looking at all the medical stuff um, and then basically everyone, every donor has, med- you know, there's there's conditions in, throughout the family, um, you know, whether it's cancer or heart disease or whatever. Um, so if I was looking for a donor without any medical issues, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realised, you know, my family, is, my family history, if I wrote it out, would be way worse than any of the donors that I was seeing. There's, you know, there's cancer and heart disease and Alzheimer's and you know all that sort of stuff so I actually stopped worrying about the medical things um in the end um I think the other thing I was looking for initially was height as the only sort of superficial thing okay Uh, but ultimately I kind of I um let go of that a little bit I wasn't too concerned um because I realized as I was going through it what I was looking for was smart and kind um, and it's not, I didn't set that out when I started, but I, that's what I was gravitating towards. Um, and it's very hard to tell that from the profile, of course, but you just have to have a bit of a leap of faith. And the way that I got there was for smart, obviously you've got education and, and, uh, and their job, their career, but also in their essay, how articulate they are. Um, mm-hmm. we also could hear a, an audio interview oh, nice. with each of the donors. Yes. You could hear, hear their the way that they spoke and their turn of phrase and uh, um, that really helped. So that kind of gave me a sense of smart. Um, and then I'm just imagining all of you sitting in the pub with a glass of wine um, listening to these audio things. Well, actually, we didn't listen to the audios in the pub, I must admit, but we read all their essays and things together and I had a little spreadsheet out <laughs> that we were ticking things off. So, yeah, um, that, that was good. Um, and then, yeah, kind was um, uh, it really you can only get that from their essays and their interviews and, the, the donor that I chose in the end, he spoke about why he was doing this and it was because he had um, some friends, a lesbian couple, who um, had been for years trying to get pregnant and had, had been going through a lot of heartache um, and he sort of saw their experience and sort of thought, well, I could help somebody else start their own family. And I just went, well, that's that's okay. perfect to me and that sounds like someone that I would be happy for Luna, my now daughter, to, to meet in the future and I think she would be if she was ever to listen to that audio and read those things, I think she'd be quite pleased that that's where she came from. And so that's that's where I landed in the end. But yeah, I didn't I didn't set out going smart and kind. Um, it's just that through the process, that's what I figured out. That's what I was looking for, which is probably what I look for when I'm dating too, quite frankly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and was that did that end up being a New South Wales or a Canberra one? A Canberra one. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was quite funny. Uh, COVID actually really helped me in the end. Um, Probably so, the only person in the world to say that, but yeah, I know, right? It's good. Well, initially it was a nightmare because, of course, they stopped all IVF to start with, um, and that was right as I had just placed the order for the sperm, and it was on the way to be delivered, and then they shut it all down, and I was kind of going, "Oh God, this is such bad timing." But then they lifted it, and um, actually, because we were working from home, um, I could just duck down to Canberra for. A few days or a week and just work from my sister's place and no one was any the wiser or I didn't have to make an excuse about why I wasn't going to be in the office the next day or yeah. you know come up with pretend to be sick once a month and all that kind of stuff so 
it actually, yeah, it, it really helped me because I could just be going back and forth um, as much as I needed um, and I had obviously somewhere to stay. So, yeah, it was um, it was good. And I got to spend a lot of time with my sister who, you know, we don't, we're not living together in the same city or same country at the moment. So it was quite, quite nice for her to be there throughout that whole experience actually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, yeah, I mean, more funny moments with the whole thing. I remember at one point zipping down to Canberra at the last minute because I got the call to say tomorrow's the day you've got to be be here in the clinic um, and being in the Macca's car park and putting doing an injection in the dark <laughs> and kind of fumbling around and getting it all wrong and just, like, laughing hysterically at myself going, I cannot believe I'm in this situation, but here Such we are. great stories to tell Luna later, though, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. And then there was another, I think it was my first round. Yeah, I was, Um, I did three rounds of IUI to start with. Um, and after my first round, so they do the insemination, then you got to lie there for kind of 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and I took a work call. If <laughs> <And so, laughs> they knew where you were. No one knew what I was doing, right? And I, so there was some disaster at work going on and I had to be available kind of. So I, I was lying there, you know, with my legs in the air and everything talking to them. <laughs> They've got no idea that that's what was going on. So, that's the best story. <laughs> So you did three rounds of IUI. How was that? Did you have to travel to Canberra each time to get the insemination? Yeah. Yeah. So you basically I could do all of the blood tests um, and the ultrasounds in Sydney. And I just I just had to be in Canberra for the the actual um, insemination. But I think I tended to go down there. I sort of knew what week it was going to happen. So I was mostly I'd get down to Canberra with a few days either side um, yeah. just because it was easier. Um, but, yeah, I did three rounds of IUI and then one round of IVF um, and it was successful on the first round of IVF which was good so yeah did you find it quite different going between IUI and IVF or um more mentally than anything um mm -hmm. I, I think when I went through all my tests and all the initial meetings with the specialist and everything um uh, apart from the fact that I was single and at the time I was probably 37 I guess when I was starting um there was no no cause for concern. I didn't have any known fertility problems other than I've got fibroids, but they weren't a problem. So the discussion with the fertility specialist was there's no reason why this shouldn't work. Yeah. Um, and so I think in my head I just thought it was going to work on the third round or in three rounds. Um, no one ever told me that or promised it to me. I just it was in my head. Mm. And so when it didn't, then switching to IVF felt like a really big scary step um and ultimately it wasn't I found it actually quite easy I know IVF can be really challenging um, particularly when you do it multiple times but um I uh you know there was something actually quite nice about doing the egg collection and being being put under and then coming out and having this lovely cup of tea and this fruit toast and then going and staying with my sister and she had to wait on me hand and foot for a day and you know so I actually there was a lot of things that I actually quite enjoyed about it um, once I kind of got over that mental barrier of, yes, this is what we're going to do. Um, and I think the other thing was I hadn't put in my, I hadn't sort of gone through that thought experiment, experiment in my head about how many rounds am I prepared to do um, emotionally and financially. Yeah. Again, I think I had just for some reason decided that it was going to work for me after three rounds of IUI. Um, and so jumping into IVF suddenly, obviously the expense increases, and then you start going, shit, well, how many of these can I actually afford to do? Um, 
and, and so what I, if it what if it doesn't work yeah. and what if it doesn't work at what point do I just put my hands up and, and stop um so I I was lucky I'd done a lot of budgeting so I you know I love a spreadsheet and mm-hmm. I was I'd figured out what what it was going to cost for me to to go through these supposedly three rounds of IUI how much I would need for maternity leave to, to take off a, a, for a year and all that and so basically I got to the point where I said okay with the IVF each round that I do it's just going to take off time from my maternity leave but ultimately at some point I'm going to have to stop um and I just hadn't I just hadn't got to that point in my head of understanding when I was going to stop and so I'm very very grateful that it worked for me first time around and I never had to really confront that thankfully yeah but yeah so going into it with your budgeting, you just thought about the IUI you didn't have savings for the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I did really because I'd started saving for the maternity leave, so I had the money there. It was just I had I'd assigned yeah, it for something uses. else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was totally fine. And I think um, the, the hardest bit was, you know, the ups and downs of the cycle and the two week wait. Um, so I had decided what I had decided was if that first round of IVF didn't work, I was going to have a break for a few months um, uh, and just gather my thoughts and and recover a little bit before I went again because I'd been doing it, the three rounds of IVF, of IUI and the one round of IVF, I'd done back-to-back. So I'd been four months constant with, with no break. So it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, and, yeah, I needed I needed a rest by that point. But, yeah, that's as far as I've gone mentally. With the IUI, were you medicated or were they natural cycles? um they they were no I had the was doing all the I've forgotten the names of all the um injections now which is completely ridiculous um but I had all the follicle stimulants and then the triggers and all that sort of stuff so yeah. um yeah and it's been four months of uh, good hormones as well then so yeah 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 it was just it was just all over the place but um yeah the, I mean the needles were that, I mean that was a funny another funny moment is that first needle that you've got to do is terrifying and you're just like I, I don't I'm not I a doing it wrong what, well, but also it's gonna hurt and how do I do it and oh I've got a friend who was who's a nurse so I, maybe I'll call her and she can come over and do it for me I mean just ridiculous and then as soon as you do the first one you go it's totally fine what, yeah. what's my problem <laughs> so yeah now now I can give myself needles so I think it's because in all the Hollywood movies it's always the husband and yeah. the wife and the bum and you're like it must be terrible but no, it's, it's totally fine. I mean, you feel like a complete pincushion by the end of it, and uh, the triggers are the worst because I think those needles are a bit blunter or thicker or something. They were much worse than the the daily ones that you were doing before then. So you end up yeah. with some nice bruises, don't you? <laughs> terrible, terrible. But yeah, no, it was um, the the process was tough. I found the two the two week wait obviously was really hard, particularly the first time. Yeah. Um, I was trying in my head to act like I was pregnant because I was not drinking and not eating soft cheese. I was a bit OTT with that stuff. Um, but then obviously trying to convince yourself that you're not so that you don't get too disappointed. Yeah. And I just, oh, my brain was a bit all over the place. But I think, yeah, the first time around I actually was on, I went on holiday with my best friends. So we were together and they, we were just talking it through and that was really nice. And then the second and third time I had other distractions going on. So that helped. But yeah, it was really, it's really hard, that two-week wait. There's nothing like it. The longest two weeks in the world, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it? I just think, um, you know, four was enough for me. And, yeah, I just, my heart goes out to anybody who's got to do it for many more times than that because it's just rough. It's really, really rough. But you get through it. So with yeah. your round of IVF, how many embryos did you end up with from that round? Um, So I got, I was quite lucky. I got um 11 eggs. Ten of them were viable, mm. seven embryos, 
out of that. Um, And so, yeah, so I got one um, implanted, which became Luna. So I've got another six embryos on ice, chilling, waiting for me to make a decision about whether or not not I'm (laughs) going to go again. So, yeah, very, very lucky um, with all of that. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you don't know about your fertility until you start this, right? And that's that's what I wish I had told my, I could tell my younger self is that just if you're thinking about it, just freeze your eggs or something because you never know, get yourself tested. Um, for me, like it was literally just the fact that I was single, so socially infertile as they call it. So yeah, no, I love like, that. Oh, yeah. God, I find that so demeaning. I hate that word. But anyway, so socially infertile in a geriatric pregnancy. Thanks. Thanks. That <laughs> makes me feel really good about myself. Ugh, ridiculous. But um, yeah, so so I was really lucky the, the whole way through, but I had no way of knowing no, of knowing that. Um, and, you know, just because it worked easily enough the first time around, if I try for another, that there's no guarantee that it'll be that simple again next time around either. So, yeah, just so many unknowns. I think that's the piece of advice I always give anyone is if you're contemplating it, at least just go and get your fertility assessed. Yeah. Do you, exactly. do you have options at this stage? Like is yeah. there a deadline or should you be doing something now? And most people don't know and unfortunately don't learn until yeah. it's too late. I know, exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying say that to younger people I mean anyone in their 20s is just not even thinking about it but anyone in their early 30s I would say go do do something just go and find out just but understand yeah. your options do you yeah. have them right now or not yeah 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 exactly so yeah so, pregnant after the first round of IVF how was yeah. pregnancy I had the best pregnancy I'm so lucky I've had so so many lucky with the the um the IVF lucky with how many rounds it took me my pregnancy was delightful. I had not a single day of morning sickness. Um, I know. I just I felt really good, particularly that second trimester. I felt really, really good. I loved but it. Everyone I listening had, hates you right now, but yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you know, it, it is possible to have an amazing pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, I still had lots of the niggles and the, so many annoying things, like getting a cold and you can't take anything and it drives me crazy, and then you can't breathe. You know, all that sort of stuff. And then I ended up with a bit of carpal tunnel towards the end. Um, so I, ha- I did certainly had symptoms, but this nothing, nothing mental. So, um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed being pregnant and feeling a kick and, you know, getting the bump. I, the best, one of the best bits actually was when someone stood up for me on the, on the light rail for the first time. I was like, yes, I'm officially pregnant now. It's probably about 22 weeks or something. I was like, I'm really, really pregnant. That was great. I loved that. And did you find out what you were having? Yes, I did. I wanted to find out because um, I just thought this so this whole thing is so unknown, um, and I I needed to find out because it's one less unknown. But also, I think it helped me connect with her as a human and not as an abstract concept. Um, yeah. So knowing her as you know, she's a, a person. She will be a little girl, um, and then when she started kicking, I just really felt like it was a proper person in there rather than just this idea and a surprise. So. And did you name her quite early on once you found out you were having a girl? Um, I think I named her about probably about six months in or so. Um, mm-hmm. I had a long list. I've still got the list on my phone. Um, I've been keeping a list for years. Just any time I came, heard a name that I liked, I just chucked it on a list on my phone. So it's very long. And some of them you read and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, but I ended up with this bit of a short list and uh, I, I had, I'd actually told my mum what my, sort of shortlist or I'd shown her the full list 
Um, and she at one point went, oh, Luna, that's a bit gimmicky, isn't it? And in my head, I was like, no, I really like that one. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I had the sort of short list and I was just playing around with them. Um, and then one night I was watching a TV show and one of the main characters had a daughter called Luna. And I think it just clicked because hearing the name out loud attached to a, you know, a character, but a real person. Yeah. Um, I just went, that's it, that's the name. But I didn't tell anyone at that point. Oh, other, my, I told my sister, but I didn't tell anyone else that I had actually chosen the name. Um, so I kept that one to myself. Uh, and then her name, her middle name is Janice, which is my my aunt that had passed away um, yeah. and unfortunately didn't didn't get to find out that I was pregnant. But, um, yeah, so she's really important to us. So, yeah, Luna Janice. Beautiful. Yeah. And did you get the privilege of having a baby shower or were you full lockdown? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. No, I had a baby shower. I just had a big picnic um, with all my friends and family. So I think there were loads of people, men, women, dogs, kids, my parents' friends, my friends, everyone, just just a big picnic. So it was lovely. In fact, Luna's first birthday was basically just the same thing as my baby shower. She was present outside this time rather than inside. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so I just kept saying, oh, well, I'm not having a wedding anytime soon, so I'm just going to invite everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. It was this beautiful day in like April, May, and it, it had been really cold and windy. And then on that day, it was just gorgeous and sunny. And uh, yeah, it was it was really nice. It was exhausting though, very tiring. I was I was actually glad when it was over in the end. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. And at what point did you move back in with your parents then? Uh, I moved back in. Uh, it was in April, so probably about a month before Luna was born. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, just it, it was over that Easter. Um, it was just the right time because Easter gives you an extra couple of days to do the moving. Um, I can recommend moving while you're heavily pregnant because no one lets you do anything. You get to sit there <laughs> and direct it. Uh, so, yeah, that was actually very handy for me. Um, yeah, so I just I rented out my apartment and uh, back in my childhood bedroom, which was interesting. Yeah. putting a little cot up in there and then my sister's childhood bedroom has been given over to Luna now um yeah. so yeah we've we've taken over a lot of space and the whole house now is just full of kids toys and my poor parents they're in their 70s and dealing with the toddler but they love it so and how long do you think you'll stay there is this like a permanent move or just the first few years well it was supposed to be just an, until around about now the idea was I'd start looking to move out now but it's going really well and we all like it um so yeah we had a conversation recently and um mum and dad just said look don't move out don't feel like you have to move out we love having you here we'd miss you if you went so I just went okay well I'll stay it, yeah. it works for us um you know I've, I've lived with mum and dad on and off over the years and it's always um been really easy we just kind of get along really well so it's kind of no desperate need to move out at this stage we will eventually I'll probably have to grow up at some point but right <laughs> now it's it's really lovely for Luna to be spending so much time with her with my mum and dad with her grandparents so yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that in and have you thought about whether you would get her siblings in the future or not? Yeah, I'm kind of grappling with that a bit at the moment. I would love to. Um, I certainly don't have that feeling of I'm complete, I'm done. Yeah. Um, but financially is is the issue for me. Um, not so much the getting pregnant because I can budget. I can you know I can save up some money in the short term and and sort of figure that out to a point. It's the raising two kids on one salary. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, obviously plenty of women do it. I see I see other solo mums doing it all the time. Um 
but I just can't quite get my head around how I would make that work. So I'm in the process of figuring that out at the moment and I haven't quite come to terms with it, but I I turned 40 in a few weeks. So mm. I've kind of got to start making decisions about that within the next, I guess, 12 months. I need to make a decision one way or another, but yeah, I don't know. If I win the lottery, I'll definitely have another job. That's- <laughs> well, you've potentially got six in the freezer. So <laughs> well, yeah, all. exactly. I'll have a whole football team. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Lotto. Mm. Yeah. So looking back on your journey now, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently? Um, no, only just that that point about figuring out in my mind how far I was prepared to go. Yeah. Um, obviously it turned out well, but I think that, that would be my other piece of advice to anyone is to have that that thought and that discussion with yourself before you start on the on all the treatments and the journey because once you get into that you're so emotionally invested and I think it's better to try and do that with a bit of a clear head I mean your your mind will change and your attitude towards it will change but I think having having that first um sort of thought around it it's probably better to do it with a bit of distance from from all the emotion and the hormones and everything so I I wish I'd done that I'm very fortunate in how it turned out but um I think it would have been better for me to have a clearer picture of that um going in but yeah, it's so that, hard though you don't know how you're going to react to the hormones and what that will do to your decision making either and exactly exactly there's so many under I mean like you say we I didn't know anyone else who'd done it at the time um so I didn't other than reading articles and um yeah and trying to and going on the forums for the um Australian Solo Mums by Choice um, I didn't personally know anyone that I could just go and talk to and ask about it. Um, so I was making it up for the first time, um, as we all are, uh, and had literally no idea what I was doing and just was taking it one step at a time. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, that, that's the only thing I would have changed, though. I, everything else went went pretty well and even things that at the time, like the eight-month wait that initially sounded like a lot, actually turned out to be a good thing. Um, and ultimately I've got gorgeous Luna and I don't want to change anything I did because then it could change her and and here she is. Yeah. So, yeah, she's very cute. <laughs> and so when you had her, you were living with your parents. Did you go into labour naturally or were you? No, I was induced. Was so, yeah, they told me, um, I don't know if this is the same for everybody, but they said that with IVF they don't like you to go over your due date. Um, so I remember my fertility spe- specialist saying, the baby has to be in the bassinet by the 12th of May, which was her due date. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was really funny. My last um, midwife appointment, having to choose a date for induction and, you know, mum and I getting our diaries out and mum going, oh, well, I can't do that day because I've got a, an appointment, blah, 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 blah. So, okay, well, we'll induce her on this, like choosing her birth date based on my mum's medical appointments. This, <laughs> again, in, in retrospect, is, is such a funny little moment. But, no, that's what we did. And so, yeah, I got got induced um, on the the morning and I think the way it had been described to me was that I would um, go in and get the gel be there throughout the day things would progress slowly um, and then the next morning is when I would get the syntocin drip drip and everything would kind of start in earnest Um, but in the end I only got one round of gel Um, they didn't need to put any anything more in Um, and my contractions had started very slowly uh, but by six o'clock or nine o'clock that evening it was pretty intense um 
but I was still only two centimetres. So everything, it felt like a lot to me, but everything was moving pretty slowly otherwise. So I kind of like, I don't know how I'm going to get through the whole night if this is only the beginning, if it gets worse and it's going to be much longer. Um, We told my dad to go to bed. My best friend was supposed to be in the room with me and my mum as well, but we told her to go, go home and go to bed too because we thought, it's going to be a long night. She can come in fresh in the morning and relieve my mum. And so at about, so I ended up getting morphine at, must have been about 10 o'clock, I think, that night, Um, just to, I don't know, just to give me a little bit of relief. I'm very sceptical. I don't think it did anything particularly, quite frankly. Um, And then it just felt like, it felt like I was pushing and I thought, no, I can't be pushing because I'm only two centimetres. So I would call the midwife in and say, I think I, maybe I need to do a poo. And she's like, no, that's fine if that's what it is, but I don't think it's an issue. And then um, I contracted and Luna's heart rate dropped just a little bit. And so she said, uh, oh, you know what, I'm going to have a little look. And so she lifted up the sheet and she went, oh, there's the head. So, <laughs> so then it was two pushes and she was out. So oh, wow. I, my discharge papers, it says my my active or my pushing stage or whatever it is of labor was like seven minutes or something. Yeah. Um, so my dad slept through the whole thing. My best friend, we had to wake up and she kind of raced in and got there at about two o'clock in the morning, but it was all well and truly over by that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was thinking I was going to have a long night and actually it was quite a quick night in the end. So yeah, she just and, and made up it. her mind. She's, you know, makes her mind up to do something and she follows through, which is very typical of who she is now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder where she gets that from. <laughs> and so how did you find those first few weeks at home with a newborn? Um, a lot, a lot of visitors. Um, I think I, I took to it easier than I thought. Um, in my mind, I'd always thought I want a child. I'm not too fussed about the baby thing. I'm not particularly clucky about a baby. I never had that much experience with babies. Oh, my God, am I clucky now? God, yeah. I love little baby they god they're so cute I mean they're a nightmare but they're so cute um (laughs) so I just uh I think the first few weeks was a lot of figuring it out understanding what my um my I don't know boundaries were or what where how far I could push myself um understanding her what to do I mean I'd never changed a nappy before before she arrived literally never even practiced at all um so it was a lot of discovery a lot of visitors like I say coming through which was um lovely but exhausting um but it was it was great and I think I was definitely looking out for those milestones though the the six weeks the eight weeks the 12 weeks and felt a sense of achievement at each time um it was like I say I'm living with mum and dad so I had a lot of a lot of help um not during the night the nights was all me and so there was definitely times in those first few weeks where you know she was cluster feeding and I was just exhausted and um the best part was having mum mum could see when I'd kind of reached my limit and she'd sort of say in the afternoon go to bed we'll deal with it for an hour um just go and have a have a rest and even though even if Luna was screaming or something mum would just say "We'll, we'll figure it out just off you go just go um so that that really made a big difference to me having that just that circuit breaker I think um and also because I was just getting you know in my head about what what am I doing and I don't know I don't know what the problem is and how do I figure it out um so yeah so that that was that was really lovely I think the hardest bit actually was when the midwife came around for the two or not the midwife the childhood nurse center child early childhood center nurse people whatever they're called they come around for their check at about two weeks 
And um, she said that Luna hadn't put on enough weight. And the, her delivery was just really blunt. There just wasn't much bedside manner. And I, and I felt like I'd done something wrong. And here I was going, but feeding's going really well. And, you know, I, I, I'm cheering myself along. And then it just destroyed my confidence for a moment. Mm. And I just was in a big panic and then had to start doing all the, the pumping and the top-ups and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then a couple of days later, my midwife from the hospital came through for her final visit and I told her all of this and she goes, it's fine. That happens to every baby. Don't worry about it. I'm like, well, that, I wish someone had told me that to start with because then I wouldn't have been quite so stressed about this and I would have just gone with it. But yeah, I definitely had a couple of weeks of feeling quite stressed out about the feeding. Um, and in the end, it was it was absolutely fine and completely normal. And that's something I tell my friends now who are having babies for the first time is when you get told that that baby's not put on enough weight, don't worry about it. Every baby gets told that. Every every mum gets told that. So, I think it's so hard as well because they're comparing week on week and it's a matter of like two grams. They could have just gone for poo. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so many people do go through it though as well. I had the same, yeah. same battle and had to start including formula and then they were trying to make me wake her up during the night. Uh, yeah, I was waking like, her up. She slept through the night. Why am I doing this? And she did not yeah. want to be awake and she didn't want to eat. And it's just, yeah, it just, it's just makes mo- so much anxiety for the mum. It does. Yeah. A lot of an- anxiety. And I'm not normally an anxious person. So it, it felt unnatural for me to be getting so worried and anxious about this and stuff. Yeah. But look, it, I mean, you get over it and um, you learn. And every every day, every week, you feel like you're getting better at it and you've, you're becoming a bit of an expert. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, <laughs> And then, and then when I joined a mother's group, it was great because I was hearing all these stories and realised that everybody was going through exactly the same thing with their babies. Didn't matter whether they had partners or not. So, um, yeah, that was that was really reassuring for me. I think once I got to that point as well. And how old is Luna now? She's eighteen months. Yeah, so she'll be two in May. But yeah, so it was good. But her first um first almost four months or so we went into lockdown um so yeah when she was six weeks old we went into lockdown for however many months that was um so that was a real shame because I sort of felt like this isn't the maternity leave that I was planning and I wanted to be able to hang out with all my friends and have these lovely picnic dates Um, I mean I was obviously a bit unaware about how hard it is to get out of the house (laughs) with a newborn anyway but yeah the lockdown was a bit tricky but we got through it in the end and um, at least then, you had your mum and dad in the same house, though. That must have made it a bit easier. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that made it much, much easier. And, the, and we just did so many walks and and I found, like, half a park in somewhere that my best friend and I could cross over with our five-kilometre radius um, so that we managed to actually see each other at one point in that four months. But, um, yeah, it was it was trying, but it was just a bit sucky for, for any new mum, I think, in that, that period. But. It was cute. I got to spend lots of time with Luna and just we became this little team. But, yeah, it was good. And now you're back at work. How's that going? Yeah, I went back in, um, about four or five months ago. It's It's been tricky. Um, the work itself is fine. It's, it is what it always was. Um, but doing two full-time jobs is quite, quite hard. Um, leaving the office or logging off at, you know, 4.30 to do pick-up doing all Luna stuff, getting it to bed and everything, and then quite often having to get back online and do another couple of hours of work. Yeah. Uh, it's exhausting. It's it's really hard. Um, and I'm, I'm going through ups and downs. I've, I'm trying to just reset my boundaries a little bit. 
um, and just be clear, not so much with people at work because they'll they'll respect it. If I say no, they, they won't force the point, but try and set my own boundaries and stick to it um, because I don't have somebody else doing pick up and drop off like a lot of other women or parents. So um, I have to just be kind to myself and make it work. But, yeah, I'm working four days a week, so I've got the Fridays that I spend with Luna is really really precious and I don't know how I'll ever go back to doing five days a week but I'm going to have to eventually yeah so yeah it's lovely I think as women especially most of us who have become solo mums by choice we're pretty strong independent women that then when you go back to work you put so much pressure on yourself to be that amazing career woman as well as the amazing mum as well as the everything and it's exactly. a massive adjustment it's really anyone, really anyone can warn you about how hard it is no. No, no, exactly. And it's, it's, it's really all you doing it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, completely. That, that's exactly it. Is everybody else it will be will just work? They'll adjust to however I present myself and whatever boundaries I put. Um, so it's up to me to to be really strict on that when I can. So, yeah. No, it's it's um it's hard. I mean, yes, if I win the lottery, that would change things. But uh, from the moment, I've got to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just you know I love those days with, that I get with Luna on Fridays and. And on the weekends and yeah it's great so yeah she's so cute <laughs> and it's everything you thought it would be yeah and more definitely I think um I'm, I'm a much more natural mum than I thought I was going to be um and I'm not I'm not a stressy mum so I kind of just go with it a little bit so that's been a really nice surprise um and just uh, you know, you, you know you're going to love your child and you, you you hear all the stories, you hear how much what everybody else thinks and how your heart expands and all that kind of stuff. But until you feel it, you just you don't really understand it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's just been it's been incredible. It's exactly as I could hope it would be. And, um, you know, I love telling people about it and I'm not I'm very forthcoming about telling people what I what I've done and and um, giving them all the history and it's been really lovely actually um, answering questions from from people. People are so curious and I think they never feel that they can ask or they feel unsure if they can ask and I just make sure I'm really open so that everyone, they just throw all their questions at me and I'm here to talk about it. I love it. And, uh, yeah, the, the reactions from everybody, people, obviously my family and friends are all, you know, total totally supportive but from people I don't really know or people at work and, you know, I tell clients and everything and um, and everyone's just really thrilled and excited and, yeah, I just get all these wonderful responses. So, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. The whole experience has been great and, you know, I I obviously think of myself as a solo mum but a lot of the time I just think of myself as a mum. That's all. Yeah. And and that's, that's been really good too, I think. So, yeah. Well, that seems like a very gorgeous, inspiring way to end. So thank you so much for sharing That's your story awesome. tonight. My pleasure. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.